Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. It's time for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name's Michael Benner. Today's July 26, 2009. Pleasure to be with you. And, and our topic for the day today is the basics of hypnotherapy. Now, this is um, a follow-up in many ways on the uh, program we did last week, which was the basics of neuro-linguistic programming. Hold on, I'm going to turn up my volume. I just remembered to turn my volume up a little bit there. I think that's better. The um, basics of neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, we talked about last week at this time. Today is a bit of a follow-on, picking up in many ways where we left off, talking about the basics of hypnotherapy. Now, NLP, which was developed in the mid-1970s, you'll remember if you were with us last week, at UC Santa Cruz by a professor of linguistics and a grad student in psychology, um, John Grinder, uh, Dr. John Grinder, the linguist, and Richard Bandler, who had a master's degree in psychology. And, and they were pulling on the work of a hypnotherapist named Milton Erickson, also a Gestalt therapist named Fritz Perls, the founder of Gestalt Therapy, brilliant man, as was Erickson. Also, they worked with the pioneering research of a linguist uh, you may be familiar with, uh, Noam Chomsky is very active in the anti-war movement, peace and justice movement, also a noted linguist um, from, I think, Harvard or Yale, one of those Ivy League schools, Noam Chomsky. And fourthly, the late Virginia Satir, who was a family therapist and did some remarkable work uh, for many, many years. These four people, Virginia Satir, Noam Chomsky, Milton Erickson and um, Fritz Perls. Their work was combined by these two guys, Bandler and Grinder, into what's called neurolinguistic programming. Today, let's look at what is really a larger, more um, inclusive field, I guess, and that's hypnotherapy. This is something that I've been fascinated in by one name or another uh, virtually all of my life. Um, in the 1960s, in high school and college, uh, I began reading books about Edgar Cayce and uh, books that I would uh, order on hypnotherapy I, 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 and hypnosis in particular. I don't know why it interested me so much other than to say I've, I've always been curious about people's motives and why they do what they do. And even as a boy, I realized that many people in my family, but elsewhere as well, really were not in touch with the reasons they said what they said or did what they did. I, I, I could see that they were either playing a role or a character to please other people or influence other people, or they just had uh, a whole bunch of characters that they played 
to try to become accepted socially uh, in a particular clique. And uh, here I had one buddy that would behave a certain way around the guys, and then when there were girls present, they would completely change. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. Uh, and then ask him about it, and they'd deny it. So I've just always been intrigued by uh, motive, and then that led to identity. Uh, those those. Those two concepts are inextricably linked. Uh, who are you, and why do you do the things you do? Why do you say the things you say? Uh, that led me to um, an interest in hypnosis and so-called uh, parapsychology, ESP, transmediumship. Um, a lot of it fringe stuff, but a lot of it... Uh, especially in the last 20 or 30 years, verified by good uh, scientific research. We now understand the brain and the mind in a way that validates uh, some of the, well, I'll say core principles or key principles that we're going to discuss today. And I have a dozen of them, just 12 basic principles we'll go through quickly. Um, again, if you're a note taker, that's a great idea. Uh, I'll try and, and speak clearly and directly to you and your desire to take notes. But again, remember, these programs are free, including the perpetual archive, so you can use our built-in player to listen at any time. I, I mentioned just before we began the recorder that we have an archive of the Mystery School programs on our website, theagelesswisdom.com, and you need to include the T-H-E. So after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on home page to go inside. And uh, under the tab web teleconference, web teleconference, you'll find the archives of all of the past classes we've done with the a gadget to forward those to your friends for free. And uh, finally, I, I often fail to mention, but a lot of people prefer to get these programs as a podcast, and you can do that as well. Most of the better podcast directories online on the Internet, like Podcast Pickle, for example, uh, will, will list this program and, of course, uh, the granddaddy of all the podcasts, uh, the iTunes Music Store, uh, you can subscribe for free there as well with a single click. You, all you need is to have the iTunes uh, Music Management Program on your computer, and that's a free download. I think the best music management system, or any audio file, obviously this is not music, though I couldn't sing a little song if I wanted. Um, so when I say music management system, we're talking about managing all of your MP3s, whether it's music or uh, a class like this or audiobooks or uh, whatever you have recorded as audio. And iTunes is a free download and uh, will interface with your MP3 player, your uh, iPod, iPhone, iTouch, and uh, and all of those, so that you can go portable, you know, automatically. 
uh, put these podcasts on your portable player as well. All right. Any question about that, you can always email me. Uh, I really enjoy getting email from listeners and uh, people interested in personal development in not only self-discovery, but self-development of what you discover, uh, self-realization and self-initiated growth. How about if I put it that way? And so um, email me and um, at any time. And my initials at theagelesswisdom.com, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. And again, today you'll be able to ask your questions either on the telephone with any of the numbers on the page in front of you, enter the conference ID when prompted and use star 2 to raise your hand, or just at any time type a text message, question or comment, into the page uh, that's in front of you on the web, and be sure and hit the submit button after you put your name and your city in there, and we'll go to those a little later in the show, okay? Our goal is to go between an hour and 90 minutes. More often, it's a full 90 minutes. So settle back, relax. We will do a guided imagery exercise at the end of this class, the last 10 or 15 minutes or so. Always do. Something I could never do on the radio. You know, I've got 40 years of being on the radio as a news commentator and a talk show host and... Um, you know, for all the discussion we did about personal development and spiritual growth on the radio, the one thing I was never allowed to do was any kind of closed-eye process, whether I called it meditation or self-hypnosis or visualization or guided imagery. didn't matter. I could not, I was not allowed by law, frankly, to tell people, to close their eyes. I mean, even if you state the obvious, like unless you're in a car. If you're, <laughs> if you're in a car, don't close your eyes. But it didn't matter. There, there are these broadcast codes that have never been updated since the 1950s that say uh, hypnosis on TV and radio is bad because some people will fall into a trance and never recover. And, of course, that's as silly as uh, Duncan witches, you know, to see if they float. Uh, there is no such thing as the trance you cannot awaken from. That's for fairy tales. Uh, the worst that can happen is you fall asleep. And uh, if that does happen, you probably need it anyway. So, All right. Let me bring up this uh, document that I prepared for today. Hold on a sec. And this has the 12 points that I want to mention. These are the basic suppositions, the, the theories, the principles, the hypotheses, if you will, of hypnotherapy. As I describe them, again, this is not carved in granite. And if you are a working hypnotherapist, uh, I would love to uh, get some feedback from you on how this fits with your instruction and your understanding. There are some good hypnotherapy schools in America. Not very many, but there are some good ones. And 
even then, I find people who graduate from some of the best hypnotherapy schools can run the gamut from very poor practitioners to very, very talented uh, practitioners. And it just, it, it's, it's like anything else, I guess. An 80-20 rule, 20% uh, what you learned in school and 80% uh, what you've learned through experience. And do you have a knack, a uh, particular talent for this kind of thing? So here we go, the basics of hypnotherapy a science that is only about 10,000 years old. goes back to the pyramids and time out of mind. All primitive pre-industrialized cultures have had their medicine women, their medicine men, their shamans, their priests and priestesses who understood that between awake and asleep was an altered state of expanded awareness. This may be the oddest aspect of all, of the whole concept, that as I move from my multitasking, thinking of many things at once, normal consciousness, in the direction of sleep, as I close my eyes, feel safe, Ah, relax and let go of muscular tension. As if I were going to go to sleep, I become more aware, not less aware. And isn't that odd? You'd think, well, to become more aware, wouldn't I open my eyes even farther? Wouldn't I listen more carefully? Wouldn't I reach out into the world? Well, no, not actually. You have physical senses to tell you about the physical world. But expanded awareness, insight and understanding, profound understanding of reality, is not limited to those brief physical senses, that tiny little sliver of sound that you hear, that tiny little fragment of light that you're able to see with your eyeballs, the tiny little part of the spectrum that you can feel tactilely with your body and your fingertips. Well, these are just tiny little clues of the world around you. And in fact, there is so much more that we become aware of when we turn away from physical sense and sensation and move in the direction of sleep and find the balance between awake and asleep. We call it narrow awake. My partner Steve and I call it paradise thinking. You go to a place of perfect peace, a place where you feel very safe and relaxed between awake and asleep, and although your eyes are closed and your awareness is turned away from the distractions of the physical world, your awareness expands. Your consciousness is raised. And what that means is you see the bigger picture. You understand large concepts. You know, multitasking and stressed out and doing a lot of stuff with your eyes open is real good for logic and breaking things down from general to specific and understanding little bits and, and pieces and details. But if you need to go in the other direction, you have a lot of little details 
and you want to understand or what's the word I want, induce or conjure up or realize a more general overarching concept that explains all these little details, how do you do that? They never taught you that in school, you see, to think conceptually, to go for the gestalt. The German word is gestalt. The the big picture in L.A., we'd say the whole enchilada, right? The whole deal. How do you think conceptually? How do you become aware of that which you're completely unaware? How do you zoom out, pull back just a little bit, and see the bigger picture? Well, by any name, it's meditation. It's contemplation. It's introspection. It's visualization, guided imagery. It's hypnotherapy. The differences between meditation and hypnosis are very, very few. Um, Essentially, meditation is a receptive state. Hypnosis is more of a causative state. Meditation is used when you don't know the outcome, the goal or solution you want. Hypnosis is used to visualize, to reinforce, and promote desired outcomes, goals, and solutions that you do know you want. Any kind of growth and healing as well, pain control and healing. Uh, Somebody could say, well, I use meditation to manage pain. Well, that's fine, but what it really is is self-hypnosis because you're projecting an outcome. But it's a two-way street, so I don't want to argue too much about the nature of the street, you know. Uh, there's freeways in L.A. like that. If you're, if you're headed in one direction, it's called the Harbor Freeway. If you're headed in the other direction, on the same damn freeway, it's the, <laughs> the Pasadena Freeway. And that's what meditative hypnosis is like. You know, if you go to this level of deep relaxation, feeling safe, and quiet the mind and calm the heart. Well, if you're receptive, you're going to uh, call that meditation or contemplation, maybe introspection. If you're thinking in a causative way of magnetizing an outcome or creating a goal or solution, then that same street, that same freeway uh, is called hypnosis. But to me, it's tragic that so many meditators know little or nothing about hypnosis and vice versa. I know eminent hypnotherapists who know nothing of meditation. And uh, to me, it's tragic. These have to come together. In fact, I, I coined a term years ago, meditative hypnosis. And uh, I could have called it hypno-meditation, I suppose. Uh, same thing. It's a two-way street. Having said that, let's look at some of these basic suppositions because here's where it all begins. Number one, for you note-takers, number one, the subconscious mind or the imagination does not distinguish between real and imagined. All right? Subconscious mind, which is your imagination, that 90 or 95% you've always heard we don't use, not that we don't use it, it's just that we leave it on autopilot. You'll learn to use it today. 
the subconscious mind, the part that does not go to sleep. You've got a conscious mind, your willpower, that's the 5 or 10% that wakes up in the morning, goes to sleep at night. It knows the difference between real or imagined, the conscious mind or the will. But the subconscious mind, the 90% that never goes to sleep, that even when the conscious is asleep and you're snoring away, the subconscious is still breathing you, right? It's still beating your heart. It's doing a thousand and one, a hundred thousand other things with all of the organs and glands in your body. It's digesting food. It's fighting disease. It's repairing and replacing cells. It's managing pain all automatically while you sleep. The subconscious never sleeps. And this subconscious also called the imagination. Again, if the conscious is the willpower, the part that sleeps and wakes up and goes to sleep and wakes up, then the part that's always running, always awake, but of which you are rarely aware, is the subconscious, and that's the imagination. And the subconscious does not distinguish between whether something is real or made up, invented, visualized, uh, imagined. <laughs> okay? Hold on a sec here. My coffee's getting cold. Um, this is a very, very, the implications of this concept are very important. In fact, everything that follows really rests on this. But before I go further with this, let me give you a simple example of the difference here. And that's when you go to a, a movie theater. I suppose there are still a few of you who get in the car and actually go to movies. Um, and uh, if so, you know what I'm talking about. I think this is less true at home. Uh, but there's something about being in a big, big, dark room with a giant theater in front of you that allows you to really pretend that the colored light reflected on the wall is real. In other words, when you pay twelve fifty for a movie and then another $10 for a box of popcorn, <laughs> you want your money's worth, right? You want to get into it, like, sh quiet, shut up, the movie's starting. I want to, I want to get my $20 worth here. So we turn off, in a way, the conscious mind that could conceivably spend the whole time reminding you that this is made up, that it's being projected from behind you with a light bulb through the film, through a lens, focused on this white screen, and these people are really actors, and that guy that just got shot, he didn't really die. He stood up, dusted himself off, and went over to craft services and had a sandwich and a cup of coffee, and he'll go home to his kids at night. You can't watch a movie with the conscious mind reminding you of these things. That's why you should never go to the movies with somebody who's in the industry. Uh, they wreck it for you, because that's what they're doing. They're looking at, uh-oh, continuity problem, boom, shadow, uh, this is not motivated, 
uh, it's a cowboy movie. Why are they playing piano music out in the desert? All, all, <laughs> all of these questions that would come up for somebody who's in their conscious mind, you want to put those to rest in a movie. You want to put the willpower, the conscious mind, off to the side and allow the subconscious, the imagination, to participate in a game of pretending that you play that says this movie is real. And after the movie is over, if it's had an impact on you, you will talk about it as if it were real. You know it was just a movie, because you've still got a conscious mind. You didn't go to sleep. And the conscious mind was watching, but you just pretty much silenced it, ignored it. And, you know, what's the phrase? Get into it, right? You just got into pretending that this was real. And it has what I'll call a real enough emotional impact on you so that I remember driving home from the movie theater after seeing Jurassic Park and I'm I'm in uh, Los Angeles and I'm looking for dinosaurs on the horizon, right? Um, after Spielberg's War of the Worlds, I'm driving home looking for tripod spaceships to be landing and and I, my left brain, my conscious mind says, well, no, that was just a movie, but my imagination is still going. You know, if it's a love story, you can, you can feel the love or the heartbreak, the pathos, the tragedy, the irony, the, your emotions, the affect that you carry as a result of the movie is real enough. Well, we can use that. We can use that in hypnotherapy. It is the core, really, of hypnotherapy to rehearse in your mind's eye as if you were watching a movie with your eyes closed in a safe and relaxed place to rehearse a desired outcome, a goal or a solution. And this oddly seems to work even if we're talking about influencing other people and events and circumstances in our lives which we often call coincidental. You know, think positively about you're going to a job interview, let's say, and and if you go in there expecting not to get the job or to have a difficult time, chances are you will. If, on the other hand, you spend some time relaxing with your eyes closed before the interview, visualizing it going really, really well, Chances are it will. You tip the scale, not the interviewer, not the circumstances beyond your control, but the circumstances within your control can influence other people. But especially when it comes to like pain control and healing or habit control to stop drinking or stop smoking or to lose weight, um, to get more organized in your life, to be a better communicator in relationships, so many other areas, you just cannot deny the direct link between this kind of mental rehearsal and the outcome that it creates. And this is why, this very first principle, the subconscious thinks it's real enough, right? Um Hopefully this won't embarrass anybody. You're not connected to each other, but human sexual response is another great example where 
um, a man or a woman could see a picture or read a book uh, or entertain some um, sexual fantasy. And, of course, you know you're just dreaming, but the body often will react as if a real encounter is about to happen, as if you're you're about to actually get lucky and uh, and have an affair with somebody who really thinks you're a wonderful person. The body gets all prepared, and you're going, wait a minute, that was just a thought. Why does my body think it's real? Now you understand. You have two minds. And while the conscious mind that wakes up in the morning and goes to sleep at night the willpower does know the difference between something imagined and something physical. The subconscious just doesn't care. And that's an exceedingly powerful concept. But let's move on. Number two, thoughts are objective, emotions are subjective. This is a very important concept in distinguishing the difference between your mental and emotional nature. The mental nature, your thoughts, are about the world around you, external things. When you think about yourself, you get critical, uh, self-loathing, the deductive, logically deductive nature of thinking when applied to the self uh, becomes very critical and you beat yourself up and uh, talk to yourself in ways that you would never allow other people to talk to you, that's for sure. Feelings, on the other hand, are subjective. They are about you. Your emotional nature is the essence of subjectivity. That's where you discover and develop the self. And in the same way that thoughts are about others and say little about you, Feelings are about you and tell you very little about the person that caused the feeling, right? If uh, I say something insulting to ten people, I'll generate ten very different reactions. Um, That's just the subjective nature of emotions. So, point two, thoughts are about the world around you. That's why school teaches you only to use the mental nature to know the world around you. Your emotional nature is subjective. Your emotional feelings are always about you, no matter who or what stimulated the feeling. The emotions are not done to you by others. They come out of you as a result of being stimulated by the external world. Okay, Emotions are evoked from within you. Number three, and I bet you never even thought of this, thoughts can be wrong. Emotional feelings are never wrong. Isn't that wild? Don't you think somebody would have mentioned that along the way? You know thoughts can be wrong because you've taken a test or two in your life where you thought you had the right answer, but you didn't. Or maybe there was more than one right answer, and you had to find the best right answer. Wasn't that maddening in school? And to try to find the best right answer. Well, I've got one right answer. Why isn't that good enough? Uh, thoughts can be wrong, but emotions are never wrong. Now, you could misunderstand an emotion. 
you can misinterpret what it means, but the emotion itself could not be wrong any more than a physical feeling could be wrong. Think about it. When have you ever dismissed or discounted a physical feeling? All right. If you've got an ache or a pain or a cramp, you don't say that's wrong. I've got a headache, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't have a headache. <laughs> or my stomach really hurts, but I don't know, maybe I just made that up. Maybe it's wrong. A physical feeling cannot be wrong. An emotional feeling cannot be wrong. They can, however, be managed. You can manage a headache, a bellyache, a physical ache or a pain. You can see it as valuable information, as feedback, as part of your body's attempt to protect you and alert you, as a kind of an alarm, like a fire alarm that goes off. But as soon as the fire department is there, you can reset the alarm, right? So as soon as you know you had a headache, you can let go of the headache and say, well, I'm going to take a look at maybe I do need new glasses, right? Or maybe I need to eat something or, you know, you'll, you'll learn to interpret these feelings in your body. And so the same thing with emotional pain. We can manage emotional pain, but the pain itself is never wrong, though thoughts can be. Isn't that interesting? So two and three, two is thoughts are about the world around you, feelings are about you, and three, thoughts can be wrong, feelings are never wrong, physical feelings or emotional feelings, but all of them can be managed. You can manage your thoughts, you can manage your emotional feelings, you can manage your physical pain. Number four, there's only two motives, there's only two reasons that people do anything. You, me, or the next guy, it all adds up, it all can be categorized into two areas. You do what you do because of fear or love. That's all you got. In fact, these are the two kinds of emotional feelings. Fear is the so-called negative feeling. Any negative feeling, any emotional feeling that hurts or upsets you is rooted in fear. It's simple enough when somebody tells you that, but most people will live their entire lives and never realize that when they hurt emotionally, it's because of some sort of fear. And what is fear? Fear is things unknown. Right? Fear is that kind of hurt or upset, that set of feelings that arise whenever you're confused and don't know something. All fear is fear of the unknown. And all things unknown, good or bad, are sort of scary. I mean, good things can be as scary as bad things. We, we've done enough studies on stress to find out that buying a new house or moving into a new apartment is every bit as stressful as, as getting kicked out of the old one or having your home foreclosed upon. A new baby is as stressful as a death in the family. 
It's the change. It's the newness. It's the unknowns in our lives, particularly what we don't know about ourselves that generate the fear that supports all emotional hurt. One of the reasons we do what we do is because we're hurting emotionally and we're confused and frightened. The only other kind of motive there is, is love. And you know, these feelings, these feelings don't need to be processed or understood. Love is understanding. Love is, oh, I see. <laughs> Let's all celebrate. Love is joy. Love is peace of mind. Love is uh, satisfaction and contentment. Love is fulfillment. Uh, love is understanding. Okay. So, fear is an emotional reaction to ignorance and confusion. Love is an emotional attraction to knowledge and understanding. Okay. Other love-based feelings would include desire, uh, harmony, generosity, patience, compassion, forgiveness, uh, even unity. All right. Here's the next point, point five in our uh, mystery school for the day today on the basics of hypnotherapy. All health, physical health and mental health as well, and all positive emotions are supported by love. Illness, mental and physical illness, and all negative emotions, hurt and upset are supported by fear symptoms of a need to better understand yourself fear in other words is rarely about any real external danger fear is almost always untrue Mark Twain said 98% of the things I worry about never happen so what are you worried about? Well, I could easily imagine danger. I could easily imagine um, screwing this thing up again. I can easily imagine somebody failing to support me the way they said they would. I can easily imagine this whole thing going south and falling apart in front of me. And that's what we're afraid of. Ghosts, phantasms. Uh, specters haunting from the imagination that has little or no basis in fact. Right? Fear is not about any external danger. Rarely is it about, it could be, right? But like driving on the freeway, you get a little nervous out there in the 405, I understand that, right? <laughs> but there is some fear there. There is some danger there. But most of our fear has nothing to do with danger and little to do with the world around you. It's what you don't know. It's what you don't understand. And the bullseye of everything that hurts and upsets you, the the heart of darkness, as Joseph Conrad called it, is what you don't know about yourself. That's the greatest fear of all is that you're basically bad or wrong or defective or broken or missing some pieces or 
what did your parents say? God forbid. I hope I hope they didn't. But did you have parents that said you were bad? Oh, they meant your behavior was bad, but did they say, I love you, but I'm angry because your behavior is bad? Or did they just say you're bad? Or you're rotten? Or I don't know why I ever even had kids. And of course, often as not, they don't remember saying that stuff. But they learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents. So here we are in the 21st century, and for the most part, we don't know enough to distinguish a child's identity from their behavior and say, you I love unconditionally, and because I love you so much, I'm really upset by your behavior. Now give me a hug and get upstairs before I lose my temper, right? But (laughs) I love you, it's the behavior. We don't distinguish that often as parents or as teachers or as managers and supervisors in business and this is a an area of most people's lives that can use a lot of development so the fifth point is that all positive emotions and your physical and mental health All of that is supported by love, by understanding, by living a life that is peaceful and harmonious and trying to find something good in everybody and to be optimistic and positive. That heals you, right? Love heals. Laughter is the best medicine. (laughs) It's the best thing to do when you get sick. Laugh. Celebrate. Love life. Do good things for other people. Because illness, on the other hand, and all of your negative emotions are supported. Physical and mental illness, in other words, come out of fear. And fear, as I've said, is what you don't understand. Fear is confusion. And the bullseye is what you don't understand about yourself. Not understanding the world around you, well, that can be a problem. But many people who've come to understand the world around them find that that's not enough. They need to know themselves. This is my story as a journalist. I come out of college with a degree in broadcasting and journalism, and I'm going to understand the world and tell everybody about the world. And I found out that while... While important enough, I'm not saying the world is irrelevant, it's certainly important, it does impact upon our lives, nevertheless, to know about the self is much more important. They just don't give give degrees in that, know thyself. Even the philosopher or the psychologist or the anthropologist or the educator is more interested in knowing other people. And yet, what what more definitive wisdom is there than, as the ancient Greeks said three, four thousand years ago, know thyself. Uh, Lao Tzu, in ancient China, said one who knows others is uh, wise, but one who knows 
himself is enlightened. It's about you. Confucius says when anybody hurts you, let go of the impulse to understand them and turn it in. And instead, use that hurt to understand yourself. That was 2,500 years ago, Confucius, like Lao Tzu, also from China. And, of course, we have in Hamlet Shakespeare uh, saying the father to the son as he heads off for his first big city adventure, uh, here's all these things to remember, boy, and this above all, to thine own self be true. To thine own self, to your own self be true. And then, as the day follows the night, you could not be false to any person. Thou canst not be false to any man. If you're true to yourself, know thyself, you see. Somebody hurts you, do something radical. Stop trying to figure them out and why they hurt you. And seek to know yourself. This seems to be so clear with physical pain. If if you were injured, you got hit by a car and you're in the hospital and the doctor says, where does it hurt? You say, well, out on Main Street, I got hit by a car. The doctor says, no, in your body, where does it hurt? The patient says, why? Why do you want to know? The car did it. The driver of the car caused this pain. Don't you want to know about them? The doctor says, of course not. I want to know about your body. Where does it hurt? Well, if we understand that about physical pain then why do we get so confused about a broken heart or your anger? Somebody insults you and you get all obsessive about them, trying to figure them out. Why would they say that? How do I know this? Because I do it too. It's built in. This part of the brain called the amygdala chokes, goes into fight-or-flight response, and tries to protect you from the physical danger of the world around you. But this wasn't physical danger. Somebody broke your heart. Or somebody made you angry or hurt you or upset you. And if you knew the truth, it wouldn't hurt. So the only reason you're angry or the only reason you have a broken heart is you don't know yourself. And here's these Emotions like gauges or lights on the dashboard of yourself telling you about the condition of your vehicle, these emotions. And we project them on other people and try to manage other people and control the world around us to mitigate our heartache and our anger. Okay? I know there's a lot here. But this is real important stuff. Let's skip along. Number six. Fear is holding on. And all holding on is fear. Love is letting go. And all letting go is love. By holding on, I mean holding on to muscular tension. Holding on to your breath. Holding on to a negative emotion or affect. Holding on to belief systems that no longer serve you. Holding on causes this fear response, this 
fight-or-flight-freezer-faint reaction, which in time becomes phobias and panic attacks and OCD and ADD and heartache and sleep disorders and eating disorders and all kinds of anxiety problems, okay? So what's the antidote to fear? Understanding, of course. How do we do it? Let go. Well, I don't even know I'm afraid, but I want love. How do I do it? Let go. Dr. Gerald Jampolsky wrote a wonderful book years ago called Love is Letting Go of Fear. And these are the only two motives, fear and love. Again, think about parenting or thinking about managing. Fear works. You can scare your kids to death. It's easy. It's a great motivator, except that it extracts a horrible price. It frightens the children. It damages, sometimes per- permanently, the child to use fear. You're doing it as a parent or an older sibling, perhaps, or a teacher or a manager, even with adults. In business, we see this. The use of fear. Hey, buddy, you don't straighten up. I got a line of people here waiting for your job. You're out the door. You better get it together. If you want to motivate people that way, children or adults, know that it works, that it's fast, but it extracts a horrible, horrible price. Love is more challenging. It takes a little deeper understanding and a little more wisdom to motivate with love. But the rewards are outrageous. Having said that, all holding on is fear. Again, just feel it in your body. If somebody comes up behind you and goes, boo, and you jump, not because you're afraid, you're just surprised, but it's the same reaction, right? What do you do? You jump because your muscles got tight, and your stomach might still be tight. And your breathing is shifted and your heart is accelerated. <coughs> Excuse me. All is part of this automatic fear response. Fear is holding on. Love is letting go. So the antidote to anything that hurts or scares you is to breathe, let go, and use love, peace, and safety to get smart and insightful. Now you're beginning to understand why love heals not only the physical body, but heals us emotionally and creates wisdom, allows us to see bigger pictures. Love is the antidote to fear as surely as understanding is an antidote to ignorance. Okay? Number seven, fear, evil, adversity, any undesirable situation is not to be eliminated by you, either through some sort of conquest uh, or eradication, but rather by transmuting or transforming fear to love. This is accomplished by learning about and understanding yourself, specifically by mindful detachment 
intuition, relaxation, and responsibility. I really like those two words, relaxation and responsibility. Growing your self-esteem will lift us from the small self of the ego to the higher spiritual self that you get glimpses of from time to time and can move into any time you close your eyes and practice feeling safe and relaxed. Okay? So, number seven, very important concept. This is, this goes back to Renaissance era alchemy, actually, as Europeans, at least in Western civilization, began to understand that the idea of good conquering evil is more than St. George killing the dragon, that good conquering evil can be like shining a light into a shadow, where the evil, like the shadow, is not an opposing force, but the absence of something real and true. So darkness is the opposite of light in terms of language, but they're not opposing forces. Darkness is just the absence of light. And fear in the same way is not necessarily dangerous or an opposing force to good, though that's what our politicians and military people will tell you, right? That's the common belief system. If it's different, it's bad, kill it, right? Instead, you can uplift it. You can find some truth or some merit in the positions and arguments of people you disagree with and acknowledge those merits or those values and lift the controversy, the conflict, the adversity of the situation into harmony, into understanding. Even partially would help, if not all the way. Okay, This is the difference between mediation and adjudication. Uh, and counselors are mediators. A lot of people come to mediators or counselors wanting Judge Judy. They want a gavel to come down and say who's right and who's wrong. And we don't do that in counseling or mediators don't do that. They help each party find the relative degree of merit in the other person's argument, in the opposing argument, and acknowledge the merit to whatever degree, a little or a lot. You just acknowledge what part of the opponent's argument you can agree with. And that changes the way they feel, and then they do the same thing. And now you've found some middle ground, like Brock's going to bring the professor of race history and the white Irish cop to the White House so they could have a beer and laugh about what happened, right? George Bush would have started bombing somebody, and you can only, only imagine who that would have been. Number eight, the basics of hypnotherapy. Uh, let's see, we're almost at the top of the hour. i got to zoom through these last few. Your identity is found in a mental discernment of emotional and spiritual feelings. Your identity is not what you think of yourself, but how you feel about yourself when 
you're in a mindful level of awareness. When you are calm, safe, somewhat detached but mindful, intuitive, with expanded awareness and conceptual understanding, that's where you're going to understand yourself through a a, a mental discernment or understanding of your emotional feelings, right? You are not what you think of yourself nearly as much as you are how you feel and what you care about. Transitory, so though, though some of those emotions may be, underneath, it's all love or fear. That's all you got. What are you going with? You spent most of your life with fear. Okay? Dedicate yourself to love. Number nine, and we talked about this a little bit at the top, using a, a, a term that I like, meditative hypnosis, is a two-way street, providing expanded awareness in the receptive state and hypersuggestibility, accelerated learning, in the causative sense. That would be the hypnosis, or if you saw the secret, that's the law of attraction. All right? Projecting emanating, radiating, love and understanding has a magnetic quality and it attracts like. So if you're kind to people, guess what kind of people you attract? Yeah. And if you're mean and nasty and hostile to people, guess who you're going to magnetically attract? Right? Now take a look at your spouse. Take a look at your kids and see if you can see yourself in your enemy. (laughs) If you can see yourself in your spouse, especially when they upset you, if you can see yourself in your kids, especially when they drive you crazy, then maybe you can see yourself in your enemy and have just a little understanding what uh, Jesus the Christ was talking about. Turn the other cheek indeed. Number nine, or number ten, number ten, when stress and muscular tension is used to numb our emotional hurt, positive feelings are numbed or cut off to the same degree. Never completely. But what I'm saying is you cannot be selective in your refusal to feel feelings. You can't say, well, I'm just going to stress out and and get numb so I don't feel my hurt. And I'll smoke a lot of cigarettes and uh, I'll drink or I'll become type A and a workaholic or I'll just uh, uh, get so busy and so involved and so overstressed that I won't be able to to feel anything. Uh, Except I want all the positive stuff to come through. Let's just get numb to the negative and, and let all the love and joy in. Well, I'm sorry. To whatever extent you're able to withhold or hold back or repress any negative feeling, you are repressing all of your emotional feelings to the same degree. To whatever extent you hold back the fear and hurt, you're also holding back to the same degree your love and your joy. So you might... You might hear a lot about unconditional love, which is a nice thing, but how about unconditional pain? 
uh, how about feeling it fully and completely as a way of understanding it so that you can let it go? How about looking directly at the heart of darkness, the emptiness in your heart, the heartbreak, the anger, the contempt, the vengeance, or looking directly in your mind's eye when you're deeply relaxed at physical pain and discomfort to promote healing, mental, emotional, and physical spiritual as well on all levels love heals number 11 unconditional love requires you well this is the same thing uh, this extends from 10 unconditional love as I've just said requires you to experience everything without condition unconditional love is just part of living how about unconditional living across the board you know, I like to say unconditional acceptance, except to far too many people. That sounds like giving up and throwing in the towel. And they say, I don't want to accept this. I want to fight back. And I say, great, I'll help you fight back. But first, you accept the reality of the situation. In other words, acceptance is where you begin, not where you end. And to accept everything without condition, it is what it is. This is your reality. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Face it. And now manage it. You see? Be unconditional in all things. Live life fully and completely. And finally, although there's really no end to these, a broken heart, once stretched by profound grief, Loss, hurt, pain, anger, fear, whatever stretches and breaks your heart. That broken heart, once healed, never shrinks back to its original shape. It's bigger now, you see, because all things really do work together for good. All of the pain and suffering in your life, emotional mental and physical represent opportunities for you to know yourself better to love yourself more that you might better understand others through empathy and love them even more isn't that the order those admonitions not to judge other people you have to judge other people what those admonitions are about in Matthew is don't judge others as a way of understanding yourself because you're incomparable. Your job is to know yourself. And then instead of judging others, you can empathize. Always from the inside out. See? Always putting yourself first. And facing even the fear that that would be selfish. Oh no, Michael, if I put myself first, that would be selfish. People would think I'm conceited and arrogant. and Well, they would if you put yourself first and then did selfish things. But the most charitable and philanthropic people in the world put themselves first. That's how they have the time, the money, and the resources <laughs> to be so charitable. You always have to put yourself first, just like the oxygen mask on the airplane. Every time you get on an airplane, they got to tell you again, 
by the way, if these masks fall, would you put yours on before you start helping other people? And everybody goes, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that would be silly to try to help other people before you care for yourself. But as soon as you're off the airplane, you forget that lesson, and we try to help other people so that we benefit. Right? Or just help other people for no reason, but you fail to check in to see how you're doing. I used to do workshops at the Red Cross for first responders, Red Cross volunteers, firemen, EMTs, and other caregivers, nurses and doctors who often would forget to check in with themselves to see how they're doing because they're so interested in helping other people that they can go without sleep, they can forget to eat, uh, they can start making mistakes, uh, missing opportunities, um, ignoring problems because they're so interested in helping others, they forget to take care of themselves. Moms do that a lot. Moms, the mom energy. Everybody's got to be fed, and then mom will sit down with her little plate and take a small portion after everybody's fed. Well, that's fine, <clears throat> unless or until mom gets sick because she didn't eat at all, well, nice intention to care for others at your own expense, but now nobody, <laughs> now everybody's on their own, you see. Those are a dozen points I want to make. It's not uh, an exclusive list. It is not the end-all and be-all, but it's, uh, I think, a nice place for you to begin uh, and, and uh, again, if you did not take notes or if you joined us midway, remember that the replays are available at theagelesswisdom.com. Click on web teleconference once you're inside or just get the podcast from any podcast directory on the Internet or the iTunes Music Store and you can subscribe for free with a single click. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, if you're on the phone or would like to go to the phone and ask a question or make a comment, uh, the telephone number is on the screen in front of you. Use any one of those numbers. When prompted by the system, enter the conference ID. And to raise your hand, uh, once you're connected, just press star 2. Just do it once. Otherwise, a second uh, time will lower your hand. And uh, I see callers on the board here, but I don't see anybody with their hand raised just yet. So we'll come back to that and give you a chance to call if you want to do it that way. And for those of you listening on the web who just want to say hello or put your question in that way, then uh, use the text box on the bottom of the web page. Be sure to hit submit. And let's say hello to some of the people that have done that. Uh, La Habra, Carol Pastel, who I swear has not missed one of these in a year and a half. Carol, thank you. Nice to see you. She says hello to uh, Doreen as well as me. And in Albuquerque, beautiful Albuquerque, that's a great town. Diane is with us today. I think she pronounces her name Lauf. Diane says, Aloha, what a wonderful way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Looking forward to the class, Diane. Well, thank you, Diane. Nice to have you on board. <clears throat> Out of uh, Los Angeles, Dale 
says, hello, uh, here for the first half, really miss you guys and that wonderful island. And nice to hear from you, Dale. Dale and his wife, Lisa, are both certified hypnotherapists, uh, master hypnotherapists, actually. And uh, it's always good to uh, to see them here. Uh, we shared office space for several years before I left L.A. And they've come to visit us in Maui on a couple of occasions, too. Out of Tucson, Arizona, Lorelei Hatch says, Aloha, Michael. She says, ever since I took this new position at work, my boss has become less of a friend and more of a drill sergeant. And she says that she's only being hired to prepare me for the next level, which is general manager. She's constantly making comments about how frustrated she is with me and my coworker. Uh, At what point is negative motivation useful in teaching? She says, I don't want to give up, although some days I'm ready to tell her off and walk out. Is this typical of a growth-worthy experience? I think it's time for me to uh, start some one-on-one counseling with you. Great class is always peace and love to you and Doreen. Well, Lorelai, I welcome the idea of one-on-one counseling. Um, I don't promote myself in these classes very well. I I often forget to mention that, I mean, I hardly ever mention that I do telephone counseling, although I'm out here. So uh, if you would like to do that, just um, call the phone number that's on my website or uh, the uh, phone number that's even on these uh, uh, teleseminar programs, and uh, I can give it. It's uh, uh, voicemail 24 7 in the 818 area code, still an L.A. number, 569-3017. Again, anytime, 24-7, it's voicemail, 818-569-3017. And we'll talk about it. be happy to do that. The initial intake session is free, Lorelei. So it's like a 20 or 30-minute session that's free. And uh, we can always do that. Uh, you have a bad manager, and most people do. Uh, they manage by authority. Uh, they pull rank. Uh, it's not the best way to manage. Again, she's motivating from fear rather than from love, which means that you have to do the translation, the transmutation, <laughs> the transformation. Might as well just stay with translation. It's like it's like you have to take her foreign language that is negative and threatening and fear-based and turn it into something positive and be your own manager, right? Take what she says, learn to interpret it. I'll be happy to show you how to do this. Even do it quickly in your mind. Interpret it. Change the language and make it positive. Because if you quit the job, you lose... And you're just going to bounce into another situation with another bad manager. I mean, the vast majority of business managers are going to motivate this way. It's the way they were parented. It's the way they're raising their kids. Uh, It's the way we fight terrorism is with fear. Whoever would have thought the way to conquer terror is to terrorize the populace. 
Well, that's what Bush and Cheney did. They're going to defeat terror with terror, fight fear with fear, use ignorance against ignorance and violence against violence. And so now we're in two wars. You can see the lunacy of it. But we're not yet, most of us, trained in how to do the translation, if you will. But I'll be happy to show you how to do that. Don't quit the job because your manager doesn't know how to manage. Listen carefully to what she says and then put a positive spin on it and rehearse it in the Alpha Brain Wave level with your eyes closed, meditative sessions, replay the movie. See the manager saying it in proper language so that you motivate yourself. She's probably touching on a part of you from your childhood when you were particularly vulnerable to being yelled at or criticized. Most parents, I'm not accusing you or your parents of anything, but most parents, as I said before, don't know the difference between, and so most managers don't know the difference between criticizing an individual and criticizing their behavior. And I bet if this manager said to you, Lorelai, you're doing a great job, love having you here, now here's an area where you can improve, and here's something I'd like you to look at, and let's try this uh, instead, see if this works for you, but you're doing a great job. And if she can't or won't, then you have to suck it up, take the hit, and then as soon as you can, maybe that evening when you get home from work, close your eyes and replay it. You see, that will prepare you for general manager, and you'll end up probably owning the company. <laughs> you'll own the company before uh, before too long. I'll be happy to talk to you about that. Uh, Robert Siegel in Irvine says, Aloha, Michael. I think we saw a perfect example of this when we saw the reaction of the Cambridge Police Department to Obama's comments. Yeah, they wanted Obama to apologize to every policeman in America <laughs> for, for having impugned the reputation of cops because they frog-marched an old man with a cane out of his own home in handcuffs. Uh, it's absurd. Their re <laughs> Robert goes on, he says, their reaction was about them, not Obama or the man they arrested for disorderly conduct in his living room. I don't care what color you are, some cop kicks in your door and is going to arrest you in your living room for disorderly conduct. Excuse me, I have to get my cane. Uh, something very wrong with that. Uh, Robert says, excellent class, keep up the uh, educational stuff, keep the education coming, have a fantastic week, and live a great life in peace. Thank you, uh, thank you, Robert, thanks for that. In Brea, California, Dave Murney, good friend, hello, David, great guitar player, says, uh, thank you, Michael, hey, Michael, great class today, so glad I can listen to you live today. Hope to get over to see you soon. Take care, David. Wow, David. We'll uh, work on some slack key and ukulele if you. I got I got a porch for guitar playing, David. So love to see you. Say hi to Jackie and the kids for us. 
In Honolulu, Bert, old friend from Los Angeles, says, Hello, all the best to you and Doreen, and keep up the good work. Aloha. And aloha back at you, Bert. Nice to hear from you. Here's an old friend out of Newport Beach. Haven't heard from Timothy in a while. He says, Hello, Michael and Doreen. Lucky enough to catch today's class live with my girlfriend, Lana. So thanks for all you do. And Timothy, thanks. Nice to hear from you. And aloha to you and Alana as well. Okay, I'm looking at the phone board, and I see people are calling, but nobody has raised their hand yet. Uh, don't be bashful. Don't be shy. I can just unmute one at a time now and then put you back. But you need to raise your hand, if so inclined, by pressing star 2 on the keypad. That'll raise your hand, and I'll come back here in a few minutes and see if anybody has any parting shot or final words for us, questions or comments. Let's do that closed-eye process and call it a day. What do you say? Get comfortable. Again, unless you're driving on the freeway. I hope you're comfortable, but don't do this if you're driving or operating heavy machinery. Otherwise, for the rest of us, get comfortable, pump up the pillows, sit erect, straight up, shoulders back, head balance. You're not a two-by-four. You can lean back. You're not a straight-back chair. You can get comfortable. But sit balanced and receptive. And take a second, and maybe a third, or even a fourth, slow, deep breath, inhaling slowly through the nose, hold as you peek, and exhale just as slowly through the mouth. And after three or four nice, slow, deep breaths, turn that breathing over to autopilot, and let your body breathe itself. In fact, Gently move your awareness to the bottom of your nose and watch the air moving into and out of your nostrils. If your nose is stuffy, plugged up, you have a cold or stuffy nose, an allergy, you can breathe through the mouth. But whenever possible, nose breathe as you meditate all those capillaries in the nasal passages take that oxygen right into the blood and with your attention gently focused on the bottom of your nose at the very point where the air moves in and moves out simply watch yourself breathe and consider any other thought to be a distraction and allow my voice to simply guide you as you watch your breath almost as if you're watching somebody else's body breathing to create a sense of detachment not dissociation just one step back as if you're zooming out a little bit to see the bigger picture. And 
Imagine a beautiful place of perfect peace all around you. All around you. It could be a sunny meadow or a cool, shady, enchanted forest. It could be a place that you often visited or a place entirely from your imagination. Just make sure it's beautiful and peaceful. Far from the roads, farther still from the cities, a place where you really can feel safe and deeply relaxed and at peace. And imagine yourself, if you haven't already, sitting on the ground, sitting upon the earth, connected, rooted, plugged in, as if you were like a tree or a bush, you know, with the roots that reach into the ground, see if you can imagine, just pretend, how it would feel to be so safe and relaxed, balanced and centered and rooted into the ground of the one life, sharing the ground of all things. And trusting your intuition, trust your very first impression, as you now dream up a particular goal or a solution or a desired result in any area of your life. It could be pain control and healing. It could be emotional insight and understanding. It could be a physical accomplishment or a goal in the world. But choose just one thing that comes to mind. A particular outcome or a goal, a solution, a result. And let that image begin to form in your mind. With eyes closed, in your mind's eye, your ability to imagine, to dream, see a picture, an image of this desired outcome, this goal, solution, or result. The feeling you're just pretending is exactly the right feeling. And if it's something that's easier to hear than see, then tell yourself that's okay. If you don't feel that you're seeing it or hearing it clearly, just feel the feeling in your body of knowing what you want. And gently focus your attention, gently, upon how it would feel, how it would sound, and how it would look to already have attained that goal, to have already acquired that result or manifested that solution? What would it be like to already have it? Giving no thought as to what it would take to get from here to there, just jump ahead in time 
imagine yourself already having that solution or that benefit. Just like pretending a movie is real, pretend now that this is real. Drink it in, soak it up. We're programming the imagination now. This is what the imagination loves to do, is to see the solution, the goal, the result, as if already attained, I've already got it, and this is how it feels. It might be a new job, it might be extra income, it might be better communication in a relationship. It could be a a physical healing, it could be a mental understanding of an emotional heartache that frees you and liberates you. Give no thought as to how to get there. Just pretend already having it. This is how it will feel. This is how it will look. And this is how it will sound. And if that were a jumpsuit, imagine putting it on. Imagine stepping into this goal or solution like you would a jumpsuit and zip it up. Wear like a costume or a uniform. Wear this goal or this solution as you prepare to come back to the waking world. Another technique is to take that feeling, that picture, that sound of success, of accomplishment and victory, that positive outcome, and think of it as a seed or a magic bean planted in the ground. Step on it gently. Water it with your watering can and take a step back feeling as if you've turned it over to a higher power so that through some miracle of soil and water and sunlight, that seed does what it knows how to do. The innate intelligence of your dreams, your goals and solutions in the same way know how to manifest if you will but dream them from a safe, relaxed place with a positive outcome clearly in mind. See it, hear it, feel it, and declare it, and so it is, and feel the release, and so it is, it is done, let it go like you planted the seed, turned it over to a higher power, dust yourself up, dust yourself off, stand up, and walk away, right? And just carry with you the feeling that you've already got it. Relish that feeling. And every time you think about it, from this point forward, remind yourself it's on its way. It already exists in time and space. And I am moving toward an intersection with the point in time and space where this already exists. It's a done deal. It's like 
I ordered it on UPS or FedEx. It'll be here any day. I can even track it. <laughs> Don't need to know how it gets here. Be that positive. It's your life. And your feelings are never wrong. Reorient yourself to the sound of my voice. Remember the room around you as you prepare in a moment to open your eyes and bring this feeling of having already accomplished this result with you back into the room and take again one slow deep breath now filling your lungs hold as you peek and as you exhale open your eyes wide awake now alert, refreshed, rested back in the room feeling really good feeling like a winner feeling like you've already succeeded feeling like well that wasn't all that hard was it feeling like it's time now to move out into the world and take some action steps to prepare to receive this done deal the action steps and the behavior now is not so much to make it happen you already made it happen the action steps you go out into the world now and take, the common sense things that you do now in the world are about preparing to receive this foregone conclusion, this fait accompli, this done deal. All right. Hey, I went a little over the 90-minute mark. Uh, my apologies. I sure appreciate you being here and sticking around. If you like these programs, these free programs at The Ageless Wisdom, I want to appeal to you every week to listen to the programs that we have put up at our sister site, FocusedPassion.com. That's focused with an E-D, FocusedPassion.com. I've got a dozen excerpts posted that you can listen to with a built-in player. I've got six entire programs featuring both my partner, Steve Snyder, and I. That's 70 years of combined experience in the field of personal and spiritual development and mind science, meditation, and hypnotherapy. 70 combined years. We've worked together most of that time. And these are compelling conversations they're not lectures it's less of a class than it is like sitting in on a salon and listening to a conversation and then of course like the wisdom class here guided meditation as well and what we ask is sponsorship at 99 cents so if you can become a contributor or a supporter at 99 cents a week, then not only do you get the six free programs, but we'll give you a new program every week. These programs will always be free here at the Mystery School, but that's a way you can help to keep us ad-free. I think you've noticed our podcasts, our, our premium audio programs are free of ads. The websites, both theagelesswisdom.com and FocusedPassion.com are free of ads. And that's because a percentage of you 
pay $3.96 a month for the whole package. It's just like KPFK. For 14 years, I asked people to donate $50 a year. And when I started at KPFK, 1 in 13 people did it. When I left, 1 in 8 people did it. I don't mean just for my show. I mean for the whole radio station. So it takes time to convince people that it's in their interest to pay a few pennies for something they could easily get for free. And uh, if you if you cannot afford 99 cents a week, that's fine. No problem. Uh, we'll give you the free stuff. Uh, and you got all of the articles on both sites free. You've got this class that's free. You've got the archives that are free, all the newsletter, the newsletter archive, the comment blog. Continue to support you. We have other things coming up, discussion groups and chat rooms and all kinds of fun stuff in the future as we unfold this. But if you can cut loose with 99 cents a week, uh, then you can be a subscriber at any time. Just get the free stuff for now and check it out later. And again, thanks so much for being here. I can't tell you how much it means to me, especially to see you participating. Most people don't do that with your questions on the web, your questions on the telephone. Send the newsletter you get every week to your friends. You can subscribe at either website if you're not getting the newsletter. Email me anytime, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Have a wonderful day and a glorious week, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.